add my welcome to all of you this morning. My name is Greg Durenberger. I'm the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where we have been lingering together with the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, where God has come down to address his people, and where today we are going to be giving our attention to the Eighth Commandment. Our family was living in Hawaii at the time, and uh, one day, it was midday, on a Friday afternoon, we were loading our minivan with everything that we needed for a weekend church retreat. Our garage door was open, We were going in and out of our house into the garage, packing things into the back of the van. And as one of our sons came out with an armload of items, he encounters a stranger leaving our garage, walking down the driveway, carrying my bag of golf clubs. And this stranger turned and smiled and hopped into a waiting vehicle with my golf clubs and drove away. It was a brazen, broad day robbery. We reported it to the police. Our son actually went in, I believe, and and looked through a book of photos of suspects. He was able to identify the robber. This guy was a member of a family of meth addicts who They'd, they'd walk right into people's homes, steal property, quickly fence the items in order to get cash for drugs. And, and this kind of thievery on the island of Oahu was epidemic. Then the officer proceeded to explain to us that we had a couple of options. And um, we could press charges... Since it was not the first offense, the police knew exactly where this perpetrator lived. The case would be handled by the local judicial system. And more than likely, this, this robber would be convicted for theft. I was also informed that my golf clubs... Did I mention that he took my golf clubs? <laughs> were more than likely already sold to a local pawn shop. He gives me the address and uh, said, you know, that's where you're going to find them. Just have to go and buy them back. And, uh, but more significantly, he said that if we did press charges, this thief's extended family would more than likely return and vandalize our home. But what was even more unsettling And and this is exactly what he said. If you press charges against this thief, his family will come and burn your house down. There was another option, which the police officer strongly recommended, and that was to simply go to the local pawn shop and buy my golf clubs back and drop the whole thing. And I was incredulous. I mean... Seriously, this is how this goes down? Um, That's what the criminal justice system recommends? 
That, that's what society accepts as a reasonable, just response to robbery. We felt violated. We, we were frustrated. And even more painful, somebody beat me to the pawn shop and bought my golf clubs. My game has never been the same or as good since. I really like those clubs. <clears throat> the, the Eighth Commandment prohibits stealing. The Eighth Commandment assumes the right to private ownership and the protection of one's property and possessions. The Eighth Commandment is is a foundational principle for and an expression of the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's turn to God's word. And if you're able, please stand and follow along as I read beginning in, I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, which sets the context And hear God address us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 15. You shall not steal. Let's pray. Father, we've already asked that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see, behold, taste, experience, glory, the glory of your wisdom, the glory of your saving work. We're also asking that you would incline our hearts, turn our hearts to desire, to be attentive, to want you and want your will. We we recognize, God, um, by nature, there's nothing in us that would desire you, nothing by nature that would help us to really see you rightly. And so, work in us and give us a single-hearted desire for you and for your will to be accomplished in us and through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Don't steal. To steal is to take something that does not belong to you. Plain and simple. But... Significantly, the prohibition against theft is also an implicit statement to the right to have personal property. That means that the focus and the scope of the Eighth Commandment are, you know, it's really different than any of the other nine commandments uh, because it kind of covers them all. Murder is taking what does not belong to you. Adultery is taking what doesn't belong to you. Bearing false witness, slandering, is taking something from someone that does not belong to us. Coveting, kind of at the heart of the matter, is wanting what does not belong to us. 
So the eighth commandment touches everything. Only two words again, but a comprehensive prohibition for a pervasive condition. Everyone knows that stealing is wrong. And yet we live our daily lives in kind of a a psychological condition, a, a kind of an ethical fog that makes stealing unshocking. We, we, we hardly, unless, unless it's a violation of your personal property, we just, it, it's just acceptable everywhere. <laughs> the breaking the eighth commandment has come to fall well within acceptable cultural and community standards. And therefore, loved ones, we live in a world of thievery. Stealing is as pervasive as the air we breathe. Now, of course, there are the extreme cases. Consider these categories forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. Most obvious are, are robbery and fraud and embezzlement and extortion and hijacking and racketeering and kidnapping. Perhaps we can easily... Con- Congratulate ourselves for, for not having made that list. But what about the more common examples of violating the Eighth Commandment, such as tax theft, falsifying tax returns, and underpaying one's taxes? This is the highest incident type of stealing in America. I read someplace that that some believe that if every person simply paid what they truly owed in their taxes, the national debt would immediately disappear. There's welfare theft, which includes making false claims for disability or social security. Credit theft, where people buy on credit, use a credit card who have zero intention of ever paying it back. There's employee theft, which is so common, so rampant, especially since COVID, with more and more people working remotely from their homes. We hardly, we hardly notice it. It involves failure to put in a full day's work, People call in sick when they just want a day off. They use work hours for personal activities, surfing the net, playing video games, shopping, babysitting, whatever it might be. But it involves robbing one's employer of our productivity. Philip Ryken commenting on Exodus 2015 says, the cost of employee theft affects us all. According to some estimates, as much as one-third of any product's price goes to cover the various forms of stealing that occur on its way to the marketplace. Economic analysts have a word for this. They call it theft surcharge. And this theft surcharge, adding a third to the cost of anything to cover all of this, this stealing, it drags our entire economy. And of course, there's identity theft. I'm not sure if you have ever had to have your credit card replaced because you were hacked and you found items that were purchased that you did not buy. The Eighth Commandment also protects one's time and talents 
and opportunities. And so breaking the eighth commandment includes just simply taking credit for something you didn't do. Or taking intellectual property. We call that plagiarism. Or cheating. Cheating on tests, papers, schoolwork. Or perhaps the most garden variety violation of the eighth commandment is reputational theft. That is taking of another's good name through slander and gossip. And we can't move on without mentioning giving theft because God mentions it. And that's when we withhold our tithes and offerings when God has explicitly said in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me in your tithes and contributions. Stealing is just part and parcel of the human condition. Martin Luther wrote back in the in the age of the Reformation, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide, stable, full of great thieves. We're all thieves, both individually and collectively, living in a world of thievery. And the question is why? Why would anybody steal? What's at the heart of humankind's thievery? Sometimes people are tempted to steal merely on, on account of base self-serving motives like greed. We see, we want, we take. And one of the first examples that come to mind is the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. When confronted over his theft, Achan confesses, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. Other times... People are tempted to steal on the basis of legitimate need. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 30 says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. In other words, there, there is a kind of stealing that we would all sympathize with. There's a Denzel Washington movie, John Q. Some, some think it's based on a true story, but John Q is a, is a man who is informed that his son needs a heart transplant in order to live. Any parent would sympathize immediately. When the man's insurance company refuses to cover the cost of the surgery, th th this guy becomes so desperate that he enters a hospital emergency room and takes doctors and patients in that emergency room hostage in order to leverage the care that his son needs. That's a huge need. It's a terrible injustice. And it's hard, isn't it, to despise this man's act. In fact, 
Well, according to Exodus 21.16, the consequences of kidnapping, which John Q. did, stealing other people, the, the consequence of, for that is the death penalty under the Old Covenant. It's serious. But by the end of John Q., we're like, we're like cheering this guy on. Yeah, because the motive for this desperate act seems so right to stick it to the insurance company. Take them for all they're worth. Robin Hood-like characters who steal from the rich or stick it to corrupt governments or insurance companies that steal from us. We see those, those characters not only justified, but sometimes heroic. How do we respond? How do we respond to lack of resources, lack of time? It's a great temptation when you're under the pressure of a deadline to cut corners or lack of money or lack of things. Sometimes the lack of what we feel that we legitimately need. How are we tempted to steal? Doesn't the impulse to take what isn't ours rise when we feel sorry for ourselves and tell ourselves how unfair everything is. And our souls grow accustomed, as one commentator writes, to thoughts that make stealing plausible, justifiable. Someone told me that if you... Um, if you download a certain app for a certain fast food chain, you get a free meal. They also told me that, that he, he knew of people who, were, who downloaded the app, got their free meal, canceled the app, then downloaded the app again, got another free meal. And, and, and these friends just kept apparently racking up free meals, unpaid for food through doing this download, cancel, download, cancel, download, cancel, repeat, repeat over and over again. It, it, it's so easy, so common, it's no big thing. But ultimately, stealing says that God is not looking out for us. Stealing says that God is not committed to our well-being. Stealing says that God is not coming through this time. And since we can't count on God to provide what we need, when we need it, we must take things into our own hands because I know what I need. I know what's fair and right. It's clear I'm on my own and I better watch out for me. Stealing denies that God is God. And stealing only compounds the situation. Stealing adds to the disruption of the social order. Stealing undermines people's confidence and trust. Stealing causes people to become wary. Stealing causes others to be anxious. Stealing weakens the fabric of a society on numerous levels. And ultimately, stealing profanes the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Bruce Waltke commenting on that text says, stealing may convince others that the Lord is of no help or that his laws are impossible to keep. Stealing does violence to God's reputation of love and mercy and sovereign care. Stealing denies God's ability to look after his people. Stealing is fundamentally a statement of unbelief. Unbelief in promises such as Philippians 4.19 and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Stealing is an expression of dissatisfaction with all that God has promised to be for us. Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. He's enough forever. And therefore, the purpose of the Eighth Commandment is not only, it's not only about protecting and preserving private ownership. The purpose and end of the Eighth Commandment is to magnify the glory of God and His wisdom and His providence and His care and His love and all that He has promised to be for us and to us. In other words, the Eighth Commandment isn't just about stealing, it's about stewarding. Faithful stewarding of all that God has so generously, lavishly given to us. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, in application of the Eighth Commandment, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, so that he may love his neighbor as himself. You see, the opposite of stealing is sharing. The opposite of dispossessing others is loving others. Loving others as much as we love ourselves. And where does this impulse to, to love others, meet the needs of others come from? It rises. It rises from faith in the sovereign and saving grace of God toward us in Christ Jesus. In the same letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, put off your old self which belongs to your former former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Loved ones, the impulse to work honestly and the impulse to live and give generously is a supernatural virtue produced by the transforming grace of God. It's a gospel virtue. 
In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about this grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. How is that possible? Because of the active working of God's grace in their lives. Really, this remarkable generosity is an exhibit It's not only an exhibit of the glorious grace of God, but it is also obedience to the eighth commandment. This is how we obey the great commandment. The eighth commandment. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor so he may have something to give. One of the many and remarkable ways the glorious gospel of Christ is displayed and the eighth commandment is fulfilled in and through the people of Emmaus Road Church is it's your work ethic. You are a hardworking people. Many of you have persevered through all kinds of vocational challenges, difficult, wearisome jobs, challenging managers. In in doing so, you have shown the gospel and you have fulfilled the eighth commandment in working hard and working honestly. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all had jobs? We all had jobs, first of all. (laughs) That'd be really nice. Some of you wish you had a job. What if we, wouldn't it be awesome if we all had jobs that we really loved? Just couldn't wait to get up in the morning to to get after it. Where we could faithfully steward our God-given talents and skills. I'm I'm sure that you understand that that is more or less a fantasy. But... Working hard, anyway, cheerfully, accepting responsibility, persevering in difficult circumstances, showing respect for difficult co-workers, it's a picture of Christ and a fulfillment of the Eighth Commandment. Students, kids that are in school, homeschool, public school, private school, whatever school, listen, showing up and working hard, and doing homework, and learning without complaining, mastering subject matter while refusing to cheat is a manifestation of God's grace and a fulfillment of the great commandment. Many of you are marketplace workers who have the, the, you know, it's a distinct and significant advantage to, to, of specializing in something. You know, you do one thing. In this church, there are a remarkable number of mothers, just, just listen this morning, 
there are a remarkable number of mothers, young mothers whose labor involves engaging in massive, multidimensional, complex, overwhelming tasks. Day in and day out, you are essentially employed in emergency, medical first responding, cooking, functioning as a chef, uh, interior design and decoration, home maintenance professions, teachers, educators, counselors. You function as police, attorneys, and judges. You are responsible for driving and transportation coordination, logistics. Probably a bunch of you are involved with financial planning and management. You are clothiers, entertainment coordinators. You are accountants and bookkeepers, as well as responsible for the spiritual and pastoral care of children all day long. Motherhood is the definition of hard labor. And oh, how we admire and respect you. And we honor you for how you keep Ephesians 4.28 and keep Exodus 20, verse 15. And what's all that hard work for? What's it for? It is so that we might live and give generously. The purpose of the Eighth Commandment is not only to preserve an orderly society by protecting the property that belongs to others. Loved ones, listen. The, the ultimate purpose of the Eighth Commandment is to so magnify the glory of God's lavish grace that it produces a generous-hearted people. Through our you know, relatively brief 10-year history as a church, we have always had everything that we needed to do everything we have believed that God has called us to do. Steady, proportional, faithful, financial generosity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was recently asked about our benevolent fund. You know, what's that for? How often are we asked to utilize it? And, and I, I said, you know, the, the, the people in our missional communities have so consistently been so generous in sharing what they have with anyone in need that the majority of the situations that come up are responded to and resolved before our leaders ever even hear about them. It's almost like after the fact. Oh, did you hear about that? Or did you hear? People gossiping about your generosity. And at pivotal moments, God has inclined the hearts of some who have been given much to give above and beyond. In our early years, we received a, um, a, a financial gift of $40,000. At, at that time, that, that, that $40,000, I felt like we just won the lottery. You know, it was just like, um, that's because at the time, uh, $40,000 would have paid for a third of our annual budget. But that 
particular gift positioned us to take a significant step forward in our developmental process as a church. It positioned us to hire Ryan Chase as a paid vocational elder. That generous gift just moved us forward in our prayed for purpose. Two years ago, we received another financial blessing, a a gift of $150,000 that was designated to our building fund. Now, you know, it goes without saying, $150,000 doesn't position a church to be a, a player in today's real estate market. But in a moment, our perspective shifted. It's like, huh, now we could go somewhere. This is a great starting point. Finding and obtaining a stable, useful, permanent meeting place is one of the greatest cares that we've had as a church. And that expression of generous stewardship, it just moved the needle on our hope meter. More recently, we've received another significant financial gift, one that pushes our current building fund to nearly... $1.5 million. Next Sunday, we're going to gather to worship in the Sioux Falls Christian Middle School Gym. But on account of that generosity, the horizon looks very different. We're asking totally different questions. And it's because the purpose of God's glorious grace is to produce a people who live and love and serve generously. And in so doing, fulfill the Eighth Commandment. With regard to the Eighth Commandment, there there are only three options. One, you steal, break it. Or two, you work in order to have Or three, you work in order to have, in order to share. Working honestly in order to give is a reflection of the glorious glorious giver who rules and reigns and supplies generously to all. Before we tasted of the effect of God's grace, we were selfish and greedy spenders splurging on ourselves but gospel transformation shows up as generosity the bible takes it, the bible takes a, a, a single two word command don't steal and makes it unfold so that the needs of others can be met john stott writes None but Christ can turn burglars into benefactors. So maybe you're a thief. Good chance of it. Taking what's not yours. Such was a man named Zacchaeus. People hated him. Hated him for his legalized tax theft. But when Zacchaeus met Jesus... Luke 19 verse 8 records his regenerated response and vow. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, 
I restore it fourfold. You see, the, the, the gospel applied and functioning in our hearts can open our self-serving grip like an unfolding flower. How? It's, it's the good news that Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners, specifically in between two thieves. Matthew 27 verse 38 says, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And Philip Ryken commenting says, it's well known that Christ was crucified between two thieves. But as far as God's justice was concerned, there were really three thieves on a cross that day. Two who died for their own crimes and one who took our sins upon himself. Christ Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. He was made to be a robber and a thief that we who trust in him for the forgiveness of our countless acts of stealing might through union with him become the very righteousness of God. Riken goes on, when Christ died on the cross, he died for thieves so that every thief who trusts in him will be saved. The first thief to be saved was the one hanging next to him on the cross, the one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus gave him the answer he gives to every law-breaking thief who trusts in him in repentance and faith. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Oh Lord, if you counted our thievery, who could stand? And yet here we stand. Here we are, living, breathing, benefactors of your astonishing patience and unspeakable generosity. We know that eternity is at stake because your word says that thieves will not enter the kingdom of God. And that's what some of us have been. But today, our hope for forgiveness, for redemption, for deliverance from the power of sin and the penalty of sin is the one who came, not taking, but giving, laying down his prerogatives, emptying himself so generously that we might live. Oh, that such love might be born in us and expressed through us so that Jesus would be worshiped and adored and exalted among all the nations. We pray in his name, amen.